God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth be moved, and though the mountains are shaken in the midst of the sea, though the waters rage and foam, and though the mountains quake at the rising of the sea. So let us worship God. Let us sing our God, our help in ages past. As we come to our time of silence, hear these words from Scripture. The righteous shall be held in everlasting remembrance. Let God be gracious to us and bless us, and make his face shine upon us, that your ways may be known on earth, your liberating power among all nations. As for us, we have this large crowd of witnesses round us, So then let us rid ourselves of everything that gets in the way and of the sin which holds onto us so tightly and let us run with determination the race that lies before us. Let us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus on whom our faith depends from beginning to end. The righteous man, though he die early, will be at rest for old age is not honored for length of time nor measured by number of years, but understanding is gray hair for men and a blameless life, ripe old age. Amen. Will you please stand?
shall not grow old as we that are left grow old. Age shall not weary them, nor the years condemn. At the going down of the sun, and in the morning, we will remember them. Let us pray, O eternal God. Help us always to remember the great unseen cloud of those witnesses who are around us. When in danger, give us their courage, and when in difficulty, their perseverance, so that we too may be faithful, until we rejoice with all the saints in your eternal kingdom. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. I respond to Anne's welcome. Thank you very much for inviting me in this, I don't know if the word is auspicious occasion, towards the end of the worship in this building as it is now. But I'm very glad to be here. I bring you greetings, as will Jim next week, from Crown Terrace Baptist Church in Aberdeen, where I'm a deacon and he isn't. <laughs> He's too young. Um, <laughs> but he, he, in fact, is minister part-time minister at Montrose, but we do see him quite often. Um, Now, younger people scattered here and there. I want to tell you about somebody who has a memory. Do you have good memories? I don't. Now I used to have. We had a wonderful meal with your church secretary. We couldn't remember people's names. Well, I've got an excuse. (laughs) Anyway, I want to tell you about somebody with a memory. It's an old man called Norman, and he lives quite near me in Aberdeenshire, away in the country, and he is going to be 99 in January, and he's very proud of this, and you're liable to be told if you meet him, I'm going to be 99 in January. But the other thing about him is 
that he had a garage when he was working. He loves cars. And when he was 95, he passed his advanced driver's test. Now, this got on to Scottish news. I don't know if you saw it, but uh, he said, I was tired of people telling me I was too old to drive. So he passed with flying colors. And this year, he got himself a new car. And it's really quite a big car. Um, And uh, I see him occasionally driving in it. He takes the widows of his friends. He's a widower. takes the widows of his friends out for Saturday afternoon tea in this large car. Anyway, a few weeks ago, it was his turn to talk at a meeting we go to called Probus. Does anybody here a member of Probus? Yes, you're right. (laughs) Professional and businessmen, retired professional and businessmen. And we meet every fortnight for a cup of coffee and someone talks or brings a speaker. But Norman said, I've been here so long, I've brought all the speakers I know, so I'm going to speak myself, and I'm going to tell you how I escaped Dunkirk. Now, that was a very long time ago. Dunkirk is in the north of France, and during the Second World War, many, many soldiers came back to Britain on little boats and big boats, and it was a miraculous escape. Now, Norman stood there without a note, and told us the whole story from the time he was in Orkney and he got his call-up papers, come to Aldershot, toot sweet. He was told. So he got to Aldershot and he told us all about it without a note. He just spoke there about it. And then he told us how he and a friend got lost somewhere near Dunkirk and were very lucky and found a boat and pushed it into the water and rowed out to a bigger boat and escaped. He said, two weeks later I was sent off to Italy. Um, it, was a, it must have been a hectic time for people during the Second World War. But what amazed me about this old gentleman was that he, his memory was so sharp and so good. And I think part of it was he went over the same story in his mind just to make sure he didn't forget it. And I think that's important. Now, I think we can look after our memories and learn things, verses from the Bible, hymns, songs, Christian songs, and keep singing them and reading them and talking about them. And when we grow older, as some of us do, then our minds are stored with good things. And we can actually train our memories, I think. And I hope that although it's not the fashion now in school to learn poetry off by heart, I don't think, is it? Anybody learn poems off by heart? But you could if you tried. And verses from the Bible, we used to have to stand up in Sunday school and say the golden text for the week. And so your mind gets filled with good things. Memory is a wonderful gift. And I hope that as we are able, we will keep our gift polished and good and well. So let's sing a song that really is a communion song, but I think is suitable for this occasion as well. Put peace into each other's hands. This is the day when we remember warfare and we pray for peace.
Our Old Testament reading this morning is from the first book of Samuel, Samuel and from chapter 1. Hannah and Eli. One day, after they had finished their meal in the house of the Lord at Shiloh, Hannah got up. She was deeply distressed, and she cried bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. Meanwhile, Eli the priest was sitting in his place by the door. Hannah made a solemn promise. Almighty Lord, look at me, your servant. See my trouble and remember me. Don't forget me. If you give me a son, I promise that I will dedicate him to you for his whole life and that he will never have his hair cut. Hannah continued to pray to the Lord for a long time and Eli watched her lips. She was praying silently. Her lips were moving, but she made no sound. So Eli thought that she was drunk and said to her, Stop making a drunken show of yourself. Stop your drinking and sober up. No, I'm not drunk, sir, she answered. I haven't been drinking. I am desperate and I've been praying, pouring out my troubles to the Lord. Don't think I am a worthless woman. I have been praying like this because I am so miserable. Go in peace, Eli said, and may the God of Israel give you what you have asked him for. May you always think kindly of me, she replied. Then she went away, ate some food, and was no longer sad. The next morning, Elkanah and his family got up early, and after worshipping the Lord, they went back home to Ramah. Elkanah had intercourse with his wife Hannah, and the Lord answered her prayer. So it was that she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel and explained, I asked the Lord for him. And then from Luke chapter 23, reading from verse 39. One of the criminals hanging there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. The other one, however, rebuked him, saying, Don't you fear God? You receive the same sentence he did. Ours, however, is only right because we are getting what we deserve for what we did. But he has done no wrong. And he said to Jesus, Remember me, Jesus, when you come as king. Jesus said to him, I promise you that today you will be in paradise with me. It was about twelve o'clock when the sun stopped shining and darkness covered the whole country until three o'clock and the curtain hanging in the temple was torn in two. Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Father, in your hands I place my spirit. He said this and died. The army officer saw what had happened, and he praised God, saying, Certainly he was a good man. When the people who had gathered there to watch the spectacle saw what happened, they all went back home beating their breasts in sorrow. All those who knew Jesus personally, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance to watch. Amen.
It is, as I said earlier, an honour to be invited um, on this occasion. And my, may I give you my good wishes on your exile and on your return? Very biblical. And I've just been in the building where you're going to be exiled to, and certainly you could do a good cup of coffee, and uh, I hope that you're happy there. Um, I know that Hillhead Church, the end of the 19th century, based its constitution on Dublin Street, an older church in Edinburgh where long ago I was minister. And, uh, of course, Dublin Street went into exile as well about 25 years ago, more, nearly 30 years ago, and moved into its mission hall. Fortunately, it kept a mission hall, mainly for the boys' brigade. And uh, once the depredations of kicking footballs around the hall had been removed, it's made a very nice little chapel in which the church now meets. Um, But this is the church in Edinburgh from which you drew, drew your principles of church life, not least open membership, openness to learning, and innovative thinking. But on this day, I think we all are able to remember, we all want to remember, even if we are uncomfortable about it, the depredations of war, the terrible things that have happened in the last hundred years, and look forward with some fear and trepidation to the future. I'm sure that for most of us, somebody in our family died in one of the wars, or was wounded so badly. And I'm sure it's the same with the church family. It's always very moving to see a board of remembrance from especially the first war when so many young men died. Young men who hadn't, on the whole, got round to joining the church yet very often. They were in the Bible class, which seemed to go on into the 20s in those days. And so many of them, and of course, in the second war, just as valuable people died. My great uncle, Andrew Murray, good name, um, was killed in France in 1917 uh, as as a soldier. And he was studying for the ministry. He was a student at the Bible Training Institute. And my father certainly kept the letter from his commanding officer. And a second cousin that we didn't know before who lived in London started investigating the family and produced all sorts of maps about the area where Uncle Andrew was killed and we had a great meeting with him once members of the family summoned from all over Scotland to meet this London man that we'd never seen before who told us more than we knew about our great uncle he, I inherited from him a Greek New Testament and a Latin New Testament And I passed on the Greek New Testament to Ruth at her ordination, some 30 years ago now, in London. And I promised I'd give her the Latin New Testament when she was president of the Baptist Union of Scotland. But they abolished that office, so I gave it to her when she was inducted to Bloomsbury. I hope she still has them. Um, And I find myself remembering this uncle whom I never met, but was often talked about. And when I come to this church my memory is stimulated. I remember once that Dr. John Macbeth, yes, (laughs) came to our minister's fellowship in Troon with a quantity of a new book he'd written on the Psalms and at a little cost we got a book with his autograph in it. 
I was taught by Dr. Guy Ramsey in college. And once in the early 1960s, when I was teaching at college, I came here next door on a summer Sunday evening to hear Dr. Ramsey preach. And I can even remember his text. It was Deuteronomy 5 and 21. These words the Lord spoke out of darkness. Now, I don't always remember the sermons I heard years ago, but that one stuck with me. And also when I come here, I think of Edward and of Kerr and of Robert Armstrong, some of my closest friends in the ministry, men who stimulated my thought. And then your minister invited my daughter to preach her in here. So we've got lots of connections and lots of memories. And looking at some of you, I've got other memories, people I've known over the years. But this is the Sunday on which we honor the dead of the many wars of the last hundred years. All over the country, services are being held out of doors at war memorials, town war memorials, football club war memorials, school war memorials. And people are wearing poppies, uh, red and white. And ceremonies are being held that bring tears and some anguish and hopefully some hope for the future to those who, meet, who are there. Certainly they bring pride. And there's been a lot of research into what, how Christians reacted, especially to the First World War. Books have been published on Christian attitudes, Baptist attitudes to war. And articles continue to appear Neil Allison, who's our minister in Helensworth, that some of you will know, who's an army chaplain, and somehow managed to finish a PhD when he was stationed in Afghanistan. Neil has just been producing booklet, article, and big books as the official historian of the United Board, that is the chaplains of uh, nonconformist denominations, and about particularly Baptist chaplains. He's really done a remarkable job in that, and he continues to do it. And in a recent edition of the Baptist Quarterly, he told the story of the life and the writings of a man from Kirkcaldy called Lockhart Landles, Ireland, a man who volunteered in the First War and at the age of 29 died at the front. He grew up in White's Causeway Church and his names are a sort of history of the church, Lockhart was the Lockhart's were um, linen manufacturers in Kirkcaldy, and uh, they were some of the earliest Baptists in the Kirkcaldy Baptist Church. And of course, their family spread out to Dublin Street, I think maybe to Hillhead, certainly to Queen's Park. And some of you might remember Joe Lockhart, who was the uh, leader in the Baptist men's movement and a, a, a deacon in Queen's Park. So Lockhart was important. Landles, his grandfather, William Landles, was minister in London at the same time as Spurgeon, and then came for his last ministry in Dublin Street. He had four sons and four daughters, so he has many descendants, and he was one of the great Baptist Victorians to set beside Spurgeon and Clifford. And the Irelands, there was still a Miss Ireland uh, sister of this man, alive when I went to Fife. They were leaders in the Kirkcaldy Baptist Church. And of course, Baptist families in those days intermarried. 
you, you met, I don't know where they met, they weren't youth fellowships, I don't think, but people did marry within the, uh, these prosperous Baptist families, and it was very interesting. And here was Lockhart, Landles, Ireland. And I remember when I was minister at White's Causeway, standing in the vestibule one day, where the memorial board was for the First World War, and an old single lady looked up at it, and she said, Hearty Ireland, he was a lovely man. And I think she must have, been, must have been one of the many women of that generation whose sweethearts never came back from the front, from the war. And her sigh must have echoed thousands of times when people looked at these names and maybe when people still look at these names of those who never came back. It's just a tiny tragedy. Just one talented life cut off. For he was beginning to make his name as an author and a journalist before he went to the war. It's a cameo of the sufferings caused by war. So our thoughts are mixed today. We are grateful for the bravery of the fallen. We are anxious about the conflicts in Syria, in the Yemen, in Afghanistan, in Iraq. And I think we're anxious also just now about the future of our country, of Europe, and above all of the United States after the election. We have fears for the future. And I suppose sometimes they're whipped up by journalists and by articles and by pictures, but I think they're real. Wars have happened. We've said a war to end wars, the First World War, but it didn't. And we're afraid of what the future may bring. So I want just very briefly to talk about God's memory and our memory. Especially in the Old Testament, God remembers his people. Hannah said, don't forget me, remember me. And he remembered Noah and delivered him out of the flood. And he remembered Abraham and brought him out of out of the Chaldees and rescued him and other adventures in his life. He remembered Rachel, Joseph's, uh, Jacob's wife who was barren and then brought forth Joseph and Benjamin. He remembered him. He remembered Joseph when he was in prison and when he was in a pit. And he remembers always his covenant agreement with Israel. God remembers the agreement he had made, the arrangements he had made, the covenant he had made, that he would be on their side and they would be on his side. He remembers his holy promises. And in our Old Testament reading, reading, which could be about a turning point in Israel's history, the birth of Samuel, who anointed the kings, Saul and David, or it could just be a story about a good Jewish family. This story emphasizes that God remembered Hannah. Hannah said, Lord, remember me, don't forget me. And then in other translations, it says that God remembered Hannah and she brought forth a son, Samuel, whom she dedicated to the Lord. Her ambition for a son was rewarded. Israel could look back and remember God's action in the Exodus. 
his deliverance of his people out of many frightening things that happened in the book of Joshua, the book of Judges, and the kings. He delivered his people, and Israel knew that God remembered his covenant with them, that God's memory does not fail. But our memories do. Our memories are fallible. And as we grow older, we are aware of that. Do you remember the story of when Joseph was in prison in Egypt and he was able to tell what Pharaoh's butler dream meant? And the butler said, uh, and he said to, to the butler, Remember me when it shall be well with thee. And the butler was released from prison and promptly forgot Joseph. But he forgot. And our memories are fallible. Our memories are selective. We forget sometimes the kindness that people have shown us and the good things that have happened in life and the good people we have known. And what we do remember are insults and slights, old, unhappy, far-off things and battles long ago. And that can poison relationships and affect the life of families and of churches and of nations. Can we train our memories so that in love we are not irritable or resentful, but that we can bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, endure all things? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And we read the story of the dying thief on the cross. Lord, remember me. Remember me when you come in your kingdom. Don't forget me. Remember me. Now, this man must have been crying in despair, for there he was on a cross in dreadful agony and pain, with his life ebbing away. Yet this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him. Today you will be with me in paradise. Do you remember the old communion hymn? And when these failing lips grow dumb, and minds and memory flee, when thou shalt in thy kingdom come, Jesus, remember me. It becomes very personal. Jesus, remember me. The Lord has promised a new kingdom, new heavens and new earth in which dwell righteousness. And he will remember his promise, his promise to the world, his promise to the church, his promise to you. God remembers us. We may fail, we may forget, we may walk down terrible paths, but the Lord remembers us and one day we will be with him in paradise and there will be new heavens and new earth because he remembers his promise. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We come unto our Father's God. Their rock is our salvation.
Let us come before God with our prayers for others. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, we come before you now on this day, this Sunday of remembrance, on this anniversary of the terrorist attacks in Paris, but also at the end of a week of great concern. Ongoing conflicts continue around the world in Syria, in Iraq, in Afghanistan, in Yemen, and in many other places that do not make regular headline news. And people, soldiers, and civilians alike continue to lose their lives. But we also witness the culmination of an extremely divisive election in still the most powerful nation on our earth. An election whose campaign rhetoric was foment, has fomented hatred, distrust, and bigotry. The birth narrative of all conflicts, of all wars. And we saw an election result that will soon place one in power who has shown no restraint in fanning the flames of such division with bellicose tone and gesture. So we urgently pray for discretion, temperance, and sound sense as the transfer of power begins to take place. We pray that the excess and provocation of the campaign rallies turn to care and responsibility in the assumption and execution of power. We pray that the language of antagonism turns to the language of conciliation. We pray that the triggers of war, verbal charges, diplomatic refusals, economic manipulations, military posturing, are suppressed rather than promoted. War brings devastation. We thus pray for all those caught up in this devastation, the fallen and their loved ones who are trying to come to terms with the sense and senselessness of what has just happened, the wounded as they deal with trauma and pain, the hospitals and their workers as they try to cope amid sometimes appalling circumstances, such as we have seen in Aleppo. The refugees displaced en masse by relentless fighting and bombardment. We pray, too, for the foreign workers who assist in setting up and sustaining refugee camps. Foreign aid agencies devoted to rapid response reaction to major conflicts or to long-term assistance in their aftermath. We pray for veterans of war as they live with their experiences, now with an increasing sense of purposelessness. And for governments who must ponder the advantages and disadvantages of funding the war machine. 
And this leads us back to those leaders in power who make crucial military decisions, who commit troops to battle, who risk putting civilians, theirs and others, in harm's way. We pray again for judicious minds, for circumspect analysis, always for hesitation over impulsiveness, always for diplomacy over pugnacity. And Lord, we finally pray for ourselves. We know that war is part of the human condition. This all sacred scriptures tell us repeatedly. Help us to understand why this must be the case. But more, help us in everything we do, as our own sacred text impels us, to seek out resolution, to sue for peace, to work for shalom in our attitudes, in our daily gestures, in our charitable efforts, and indeed even in our voting considerations. As we remember the sacrifice of our fallen today, as we think of the sacrifice at the heart of our Christian story, help us too to sacrifice war. Sacrifice it at all levels, beginning in our hearts and minds and prayers this morning. Amen. Let us now worship God as we bring our offering. Let us give thanks. 
Oh God, you are very good to us. And we are here to bring our offerings to you. We thank you that we are able to do this. We thank you for those who will use this money wisely and well, that it may do your work in our city, our church, our world. Lord, you sent your own Son, that he may die on the cross for us, and we thank you for that. You raised him from the dead, and we thank you that you have given us hope in resurrection. You have promised us your kingdom, and we trust in you. We thank you for all those who have given us wise counsel in our lives, and for those who now care for us and teach us and surround us with love. In a world full of so many things that make us despair, we thank you for all that is good, for art and poetry, for music, and for this beautiful world in which we live. Thanks be to you, O God. In the name of Jesus. Amen. We shall sing, Will You Come and Follow Me, If I But Call Your Name.
Go now in peace to love and serve the Lord. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you forever.